Hello, and welcome to the return of Little Grace. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels like, you know, we've been away for a while. Been away for a month. Gosh, that's not at odds with um, regular podcasting at all. <laughs> no. Um, but as as a very wise man once said earlier this evening in the episode of Pyro, we're about to talk about... You can't hurry, love. You know, you'll just have to wait. <laughs> she said, love, don't come easy. It's a game of give and take. <laughs> Long must I wait? <laughs> no? Yeah, it's, he says, uh, you cannot hurry the little grey cells. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was some... But you're, you're correct. He does also sing that song. Spoilers. <laughs> he doesn't. Secondary spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so, today, we have been watching Problem at Sea. A great episode. Well, so, yes... <laughs> <laughs> but possibly for all of the wrong reasons <laughs> and some of the right reasons. I feel like we've said that about so many episodes so far that maybe this is just early season Poirot. Yes. You yes, know? I think that's fair. I feel like this is the best one so far. Certainly it wasn't at all at the point where they were embracing nuance or, you know, subtlety or characterization so i i think i think this script has some moments of deliberate little deliberate flair Mm. for this episode um it's not like a series of accidents as some episodes feel like Um, (laughs) you mean most notably was it triangle at roads yeah even though i mean although i don't think you can write it's that bloody belgian busybody and not mean it (laughs) like you know what i mean not know what that connotates so I, I don't know. I, I think they knew what they were making. I just think they just decided to make it less camp, basically, going mm. forward from this point. These were different times. And it was for a different sort of slot in the TV schedule, True. I do believe. So so this is kind of the concluding part of their filming abroad. Um, mm. Yeah, it's thing, weird that Pyro goes on two holidays back to back. Well, I think it, it, it looked like there was a Greek unit for both. So I'm assuming that there was some kind of... Of the filming of it, sure. Yeah. But I'm talking about plot-wise. Pyro has just gotten back from Rhodes. Well, they're just going to pick things, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Although, this does uh, continue a plot thread from Triangle at Rhodes, which is Hastings is off shooting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this time Pyro went with. Exactly. But what I'm saying is there's, like a, there's, a, there's a Hastings continuity here. Well, so, okay. To start off, we yeah. are at sea. Okay. The, where the problems are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which there are lots the of problems at sea. First mistake. Um, and Hastings is, uh, trying to teach a young woman named, uh, which one is she? It's, it's Kitty. It's isn't Polly, it? isn't this one? No, well, there's Pamela. Kitty and Pamela. Kitty and Pamela, that's it. Yes. This um, is Pamela. I think this is Pamela, isn't it? He's trying to teach her how to load and fire the clay pigeon launcher. <laughs> so that he can host a uh, clay pigeon championship, which I spent part of the episode thinking, you know, he he was just sort of off to do his latest competitive hobby yeah, that he's picked up for five minutes. But it seems like he's just organising it for the people on the boat, none of whom care toppence for clay pigeon shooting. Well, so there's an implication, a, a scene in from this, but nonetheless, just going to give you some important Hastings context. Mm. There's implication that they are all sort of on like a rotor for entertaining everybody during the cruise. So the boat is full of uh, increasingly amateurish 
British Are people they, abroad. Because yeah. I thought that the aunt lady who is draped in crochet mm. singing all the songs Hastings has expressly dis- distasteful of was the entertainment and that is perhaps why everybody has been forced to try and entertain so the only reason the only reason i suggest otherwise is and this is probably the least important detail to get hung up on but it does give us so there's a line where somebody i think that lady says hastings has us all very well organized and paro says yes he's good at that um so that implies to me that hastings has kind of organized them all into some kind of entertainment rotor because there's also the elderly general as well who reads poetry and uh, i don't think that's been requested either but it's mentioned earlier in the episode yeah i know but what i'm saying is i think that perhaps this is just a a confined space where terrible people are at their worst (laughs) fair but uh, so my understanding of it is that the shooting competition is the thing Hastings has arranged for a particular day of the cruise for like entertainment on a particular day. I think That's his contribution. Just gone boat crazy. Okay. I, I think <laughs> the script supports the Hastings is some kind of ship born, uh, MC theory. Um, I think he might have taken that role upon himself, mm. but I really don't think, I think all he's doing is trying to get people interested in the thing that he wants them to do. Yes, that's true. Cause it's, I don't think hobby. he gives a damn about people reading poetry. Apart from when it's the wrong stuff. No, that it's was the wrong the songs. Anyway, the, <laughs> the only way to describe Kitty and, and Pamela is bubbly. They are. <sighs> They are very sort of giggly and young and uh, sort of a bit, not dim, but sort of not worldly they are, in any way. Yeah, they're like silly. They the are silly. The rogue fringe Bennett sisters. They're being presented as silly. Yes, they are right? silly girls yeah. in this sort of traditional British period drama sense. And so they are just sort of wombling around with this clay pigeon set up with Hastings when we first meet them while um, General Forbes trots around <laughs> doing the world's least uh, taxing um, jog jog because there is just no room on the book. There's a real there's a real implication that all the characters are introduced in each of them look sort of like sweaty and too warm and like they've all gone a bit mad in the sun. Like it is just English people on a boat, like day one, we've all gone boat crazy. Well, it's not, I don't think they looked like sweaty or anything. They just looked like they were sort of desperately trying to not engage with each other in that way of like, you know, when you're sort of living on top of each other, but trying to maintain, Mm. you know, a sense of, so anyway it doesn't matter They're it's a very all just... fun it's a very fun introduction to that cast of characters because mm. they are all tremendous in their own way i have written in my notes british people being weird on a small boat <laughs> yeah that's yeah so there, there are like three or four couples and the girls and the two older ladies and their niece so there are uh, obviously, there are the crew who we sort of meet in drips and drabs. I think mm. there's about three that yeah. we really sort of get to grips with. Um, there is General Forbes. There are Mr. and Mrs. Clapperton, uh, John and Adeline. Um, there are Mr. and Mrs. Tolliver. There is Miss Henderson. 
There are Miss uh, Mooney and Miss Cregan, who There's are Pamela and Kitty. Yep. Uh, there is uh, the elderly Colonel. Or uh, yeah, I've forgotten his God. name. You don't really need to know his name. Yeah, he's just sort of a bit snippy and a bit like funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Hastings and Poirot, right? And Miss Henderson. I said her. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yes. Go. Yeah. Good. Good. Well remembered. Thanks. Uh, that is the entire. 18 to 30 club med coterie <laughs> it's really not 18 to 30 it's, it's kind of 50 like to 20 90. to yeah. 90 yeah, yeah exactly. it's, mm. how old are the girls supposed to be i think they are supposed to be sort of 19 ish because they're right. there without chaperones right yeah that's what i was thinking but they are really very silly well really, they're really sheltered they, yeah they're very yeah anyway yes anyway so that feels they're they're sort of they're almost like comedy but sort of a bit i don't know i'd be interested to see what it was like in the actual short story because mm. yeah i know that the tv stuff tends to change mm. things to fit tv or get or tv tropes or anyway that's all by the by um so and then sort of we we see poirot coming out of his cabin and going past the lady who is practicing her singing so yeah, because <laughs> those are the other people. The the, the yes. actual entertainment is um, these two women. One of whom is the singer draped in crochet, and the other one, I, I think, just plays the piano for her. Mm. And their niece, yes, is mainly um, a, a, a and her doll, s- sort of completely um, mute for now. Um, little girl who just plays with an eerie doll. Mm, you see is. her once at the beginning of the episode. This will, for some reason, become vitally important. But just forget that for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yes. So the, the thing that I wanted to ask at this point is, isn't Poirot famously bad at being at sea? Yeah. And he gets really seasick. Yeah. And he's fine. He does. This he mentions time. it a little bit. This no, is... it's. I thought he was about to mention it, but then Adeline's like humble bragging about her owning a hospital. That's what I was going to get at. It's like he starts to talk about it, I think, or like he, um, I've forgotten the exact line, but there is a sort of. She's like, oh, it was a bit choppy last night, and then he's about to say something, and I. Yeah, that yeah. was that was the bit. Where I, I I got the implication he was about to mention that he doesn't like being at sea, but then she's immediately like, but I'm wonderful at being at the ocean. We should talk about Adeline because she's should, amazing. But can I even. I don't care. He's 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 gone on a voyage. He keeps going to sea. He needs well, to stop it. We don't really understand why he went to Rhodes. Don't we? By himself. You know what I mean? Like he can't get there. He's just sort of there. Uh, right, you know what I mean? Well, wasn't it just because Hastings had gone off shooting and Miss Lemon was seeing her sister and otherwise it was hanging out in the flat with that guy who like just sort of talks to the postman. Hmm. There's a, probably a theory, like a fan theory you could launch off this, that there are actually two Poirots, and these two adventures are happening simultaneously, and this is what's happening while uh, Hastings is off shooting. Maybe one of the Poirots doesn't get seasick, that's how you can tell. I've made this more complicated than it needed well, to be. Well, hang on, because they've both got moustaches, so you're never going <laughs> to... Yeah, exactly. Anyway, <laughs> so yes, Adeline, mm. she is amazing because she is so awful. Yeah, everyone else, <laughs> so th- the rest of the cast is sort of like, with the exception of Poirot, including, and I include Hastings in this, a sort of like jovial British amateurs. They're all having a, pretending to like each other, having a terrible time. Everybody can sing or dance or play the piano or read Rudyard Kipling or just honk or whatever it is they do or make stupid, you know, 
uh, sort of conversation with each other. Except Poirot, who is kind of Belgian and above it all, and Adeline, who fucking hates everything that's happening she's in the vampiest possible way. She's so good. She has absolute contempt for her husband. She has absolute contempt for her fellow guests. She has absolutely no time for their terrible small talk or how pleased they are with knowing their own names. Um, <laughs> and she is really dismissive of their children and then gets really cross when they don't deal the cards for bridge fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, um, there's a, a, like a character type in a lot of uh, the thirties and forties murder mysteries, which is the sort of the vampire, uh, murderess. And she is that type from the off, right? The sort of like, Oh, of course I did it, Sebastian. How could you be so stupid? You've always been stupid. You know, <laughs> like that kind of person. And um she sort of launches into that from kind of the beginning, the first time you see her. Except, except, she says she has the most spectacular line. What, to Poirot? Uh, to Poirot in her first scene in the, in, the sh- in the episode, which is the most amazing line to introduce yourself with in a murder mystery show. People are always saying, you're so alive, Adeline. (laughs) You're so alive. (laughs) One thing they always say about me, Adeline, I'm very alive. I'm currently alive. (laughs) Definitely alive, me, Adeline, alive. (laughs) And she says, and what would I be if I wasn't alive? To which Paro replies, dead. And lights her cigarette. And lights her cigarette. And then she refuses to let him light her cigarette because she's very offended by this and she storms off. But she storms off because and to find her husband who is currently creeping on another lady outside. Yes. So giving her the shoulder rub, which we also saw Geordie LaForge give somebody in um, uh, Next Generation. an episode of TNG, yeah. which we watched before. <laughs> Look, the Federation has no personal space, but that's a different ship and a different <laughs> problem at space. <laughs> I see. Um, th- so, yes, um, but then he does what- the most inept job of like, I wasn't hitting on this woman, Adeline. He's sort of like, oh, I, ooh, I'm just dusting her. <laughs> but then... Like, because we're seeing this out of the window from Poirot's vantage mm. point, whereupon the elderly uh, colonel, who we can't remember the yeah. name of, Grandad. sort of sidles up to him, and it's like, "There's the kind of woman you'd want to kill with a hacksaw, <laughs> or a, uh, with a hatchet." On <laughs> that, he says, "I knew a woman like that, in, like that in Hyderabad. Absolute poison. <laughs> Should murder her." <laughs> So yeah, it's not it's not a subtle episode. No. We should no. This no. would this would have been a really good feint mm. if uh, if it was a feint. It's not. <laughs> um. So yes, then we have the evening's entertainment. This whole sequence is so weird. <laughs> yes, and then doesn't it get weirder? Because like they're talking about um. So that's when they have the the bridge. So no, because the, the we cut to the evening, don't we? Yeah, the singing, and it's fucking yeah, terrible. Yeah, so there's the terrible singing, and then there's the bridge where she gets really cross with the Tollivers, and he, um, John, is like, oh, I can't play bridge, or no, yes, he won't, won't play bridge. Play bridge. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, and so they, so the, so, and, um, and the Tollivers say, like, can we play? And Adeline just looks at her, looks at them like, oh, for fuck's sake, you, Yes. And then, but then the girls bounce in yeah. and just kidnap John. They're like, oh, it's a kidnapping. Oh, it's a, a clapperton napping. And he's just like, he's being whisked away for a 
I don't know. It's it's genuinely it's you do weird. Know, you just don't want to say. It's, yeah, it's weird. I just said the f word, but I, you know now I feel weird about it. But um, um, well, I think the other thing because they they say in their incredibly sort of oh, yes. plummy British. Um, I've forgotten this. Like public school voices, you know, we're hot stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> and the moon's out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's that, weird. That's what's going to stop him from getting cold, and and then yeah. that gets a bit. Yeah, and exactly. That answer to mm. he's going to get cold is like, well, we're hot stuff, and if that isn't like we're having a threesome, then I don't know what is. Well, it's followed up with and the moon's out, yeah. which is just like I Will mean, be. because Pamela's just not. Quite the famously hot moon. Um, <laughs> she doesn't know which one's which. One of them's the sun, Pamela. So this is the point where it kind of reminded me of the film Rita Sue and Bob Two, because <laughs> it's that kind of sort of odd dynamic and sort of kind of giggliness, I guess. Anyway, the mm. other the other amazing bit that happens in the sequence before we get to the actual. Um, end of this sequence is um hastings is very annoyed because the singing lady whose name i don't know um has sung both army songs and indian love songs which are the two things she expressly he expressly asked her not Mm. to sing and presumably he asked her not to sing them for reasons of sensitivity like a lot of the the a lot of the men on the ship are ex-army and maybe don't want well he's out on debt on the um out out on the side of the ship with one of the crew crew who is obviously also yeah. ex-army or something. And, and they're sort of basically having that kind of, mm. you can't expect civilians to understand. Well, that, that was exactly what I was about okay. to say. Like I was about to say, like his, this is a weird moment of Hastings depth, but, mm. um, but also an amazing commentary on interwar British gentry where he says, well, you can't expect civilians to know, sir. And, you get, and, and Hastings goes, yes, well, we're all civilians now, <laughs> which, you know, hark, you know, it does hark to the fact that like Hastings is actually a, a military man who served in the first world war, but, also, the thing I found very funny is that the horror, the horror of, you know, maybe like a post-war experience visited upon the British officer classes in the thirties isn't, uh, real memories of trauma. It's just the cabaret. It's just the ceaseless cabaret. I hear it in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sing I'm in the army and I'm all right. I'll have flashbacks to the cabaret again. Which is actually surprising, um, for, foreshadowing. <laughs> well, also, I think, um, I glossed over a bit just before this, which is where we find out that Adeline and General Forbes have history. Oh, but yes. It's kind of delivered in that sort of slightly, it's, it really is just a line or two that sort of imply that she doesn't want to talk to him about it and he's maybe sort of mooning over her a bit. But, yeah. But that's kind of like over mm-hmm. as soon as and it starts. And we also find out that, while General Clapperton did get at his officership during the war, uh, before the war, he was some kind of stage performer. He was performer. in the music hall. He was in the music hall. Which is why General Forbes doesn't think that his service counts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't, you weren't really in the army if you were previously in the theatre. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also, I think he had a fortuitous, like, um, bombing injury that sent him home pretty yeah, quickly. He got so a, a, a like, bit bombed, not a lot bombed. Yeah. So, and that's possibly how he met Adeline through her hospital management scheme. Yes. (laughs) These are all very important details. Um, (laughs) For sure. Anyway, but yeah, and then there's that amazing bit where, um, Adeline is, is delivering her latest sort of 
emasculatory insult to to John uh, while licking a Turkish delight. <laughs> not even licking it in like a sensual way or like in a, I'm going to eat this way, but in a kind of like I've licked it and it's mine now kind yeah. of way. Because um, she says that she doesn't like anything in the house that's older than three years because I think she thinks that that says what fabulous wealth they have because they can just throw things away and it's like oh i'll need to throw my car away next year then darling and she's (laughs) like don't you mean my car it's my money and then licks the turkish delight (laughs) she's great what's her line at the beginning of the bridge game about children because it's incredible something it's something like it makes you glad you never had children it's it's, it's just it's it's basically that but it's it's so strongly held it's like don't you just wake up some days and thank god you never had children anyway Bridge. got two <laughs> like, well Ugh. fuck you as well Tolliver's I'm Deal. too fabulous for this boat but I'm very alive currently very alive <laughs> anyway yes so and then we cut to Poirot outside with Miss Henderson I believe mm. and he is um, he has his telescope walking stick this time he's using it to look at the moon yes so I do love that thing very excited every time that turns up and he's having a little chat with uh, Miss Henderson she's and, a, like a uh, solo trap Traveler, isn't she? A sort of lonely, sort of forties. Yeah, sort of, you know, a romantic figure. I think. Yeah, sort of a a a lonely lady who is the one that awful Clapperton was creeping on earlier, and mm. then pretended to be dusting down. <laughs> um, so they're kind of having a chat, and then Poirot tries to sort of wingman and pushes pushes her into the line oh, God, of Hastings' so good. attention. And uh, Hastings just wants to talk about clay pigeon shooting <laughs> with her. He's my best. He's, he's the best. He's just, he's just a big boy who was in the army. Um, the thing is, and then he's like, oh, you know, blah, blah, clay pigeon shooting championships. And she's like, yeah, I've got some letters to write, but we can definitely talk about this tomorrow <laughs> and he's like sure and thinks that she actually means it yeah because because poor is like oh hastings i i push you in front of the ladies and what are you doing like i'm wingmanning so oh, hastings, hard hastings 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 that's what he is and uh, then um this and is, then hastings this- is like but she wanted to talk about clay pigeons didn't you hear her tomorrow <laughs> Uh, this is a, that, that scene is a very good source of um, pyro face reaction gifts. I think mm. um, there's a couple of them in this episode, but that's definitely one of them. Not that you're trying to steer listeners at all. No, but I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, there's a cottage industry developing of pyro gifts, and there's a good scene for them. Mm. But then um, they uh, decamp indoors to where um clapperton has been uh sequestered by the two young ladies and mm. he isn't actually giving them a seeing to he's showing them <laughs> card tricks <laughs> so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh he he shows hastings and poirot that actually he doesn't play bridge because he can deal any hand he wants to anybody at any time he's a card wizard mm-hmm. mm, that's an important detail mm-hmm Kind of. Yeah, sort mm. of. Hmm. It's a thing. It's a, it doesn't, it happens for a reason. So, um, but. Also, uh, we see Poirot's hand double. Yes, I was going to say this, cause, um, Poirot tries, uh, he does that, um, the shuffle that I can't do where you divide the deck in two and then sort of flick it into each other. Yeah. And then, you know, hand it back. Um, except I don't think that David <laughs> Suchet can do it either because I'm so sure. It's a very a close double. crop of two hands doing it. And then Pyro just goes, 
Et voila, it gives him <laughs> the shuffled deck. <laughs> nice. I need to go back and check on the on the yeah. hands, I think. But um yeah, so but then Hastings manages to put his foot in it again. again. But this time he realizes because mm. he says um you know with with those skills you should be on the stage and then Clapperton just gets really weird and leaves yeah. <laughs> everyone's a bit like what the hell just happened Poirot has no idea either so it must be a mystery mm. Mm. it's the biggest mystery so far yes indeed but now now we've docked and it's time for oh. your favorite <laughs> extra so the i've been building this guy up and actually so i this guy didn't disappoint in the second viewing <laughs> so the, uh, obviously, it's the third ex- viewing because you made me rewind it last time. Yes, so we could watch this bit again. Yes. So yeah, it's my third time watching this bit. So the, uh, the ship has arrived at Alexandria, which is their stop, and um, as they do, they <laughs> stop. Yeah, well, it's, it's like a port. A, yeah, <laughs> any stop in a storm, as you say. Um, the boat stop. They've arrived at the boat stop. All right. Uh-huh, yeah. Anyway, so it's um, we've got an exterior view of the deck. We're looking at the, the front of the ship. And you can see down the side of the ship and the, the, the deck. And, uh, there's a, a pair of, of, of characters, anonymous characters who, um, what, unnamed characters, uh, who are souvenir sellers, Greek souvenirs. I believe they are named. There's first hawker and second yeah. hawker. Yes, in hawkers. The Egyptian hawkers that, um, I said Greek because they're, uh, it was filmed in Greece and Greek actors, but, um, Egyptian hawkers that, uh, sells, you know, try and hawk souvenirs to tourists. Bedecked uh, with beads and Yeah, so beads forth. and jewelry and things like this. And, um, so I understand the, the purpose of this, uh, guy. Uh, so I, I, I think, I really want to unpack this because it's wonderful. And he's my extra of the season, probably, if not my extra of the show. Um, because his job as an extra is to walk on, try and aggressively hawk some beads to, I think, Miss Henderson and... No, it's Kitty and Pamela at first because they're talking to Clapperton right. about him joining them for sightseeing. No, that happens below deck. No, it doesn't. Oh, no, you're, you're, you are right, yeah. Because this is when kitty and pamela say hooray that that he might join yes them. you, and are you never hear that because you're so distracted so excited about the hawker <laughs> so his job about yeah okay you're absolutely right so his job is to come onto the ship aggressively hawk his wares a bit be uh shooed away by clapperton and then leave what he does is bounce onto the ship <laughs> with a kind of constant bouncy walk like mm. he's he's just sort of like a boing 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 onto the ship. He bounces up to them, gets right over Kitty, I think, and just is sort of like buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, and then they go like no, go away. And so he bounces off again and just keeps bouncing off. And then he gets to the bit which is obviously the ingress to the boat, the ramp, and looks down it like he's supposed to go that way. And then he keeps going, and he keeps going all the way down the back of the boat. And for the rest of this scene, you can't pay attention to what anyone's saying because in the distance, he's just still going. It's he because just- they, they made the mistake of um, lining up the shot so that it goes all the way down the length of the boat. So he's never out of the <laughs> yeah. shot unless he goes into a cabin, which obviously he wouldn't be supposed to do. And then he keeps going and he keeps going and then he gets to the further end of the boat and he looks off the boat again, I think, at probably a director or somebody in a kind of like, do I stop now kind of way. And then he goes, just keeps going. And you just see him vanish around the side of the boat. <laughs> it's so good. I've never, he, it's just, he completely steals this scene. And I still have no idea. The reason I can't remember who's in it is because. 
he is Do you know my what favorite. his bouncy walk reminds me of? It reminds me of when I got stuck behind a Harry Krishna parade um, <laughs> in on Oxford Street. And it's that same kind of um, slightly bouncy, kind of jubilant yeah. processional walk. Yes, it is. It is doing. processional. It's a great way of putting it. Mm. Um, it's... Do you remember what specifically he's selling? Necklaces? Bits from the tombs of the pharaohs. Oh, yes, that's what he says. Bits from the tombs of the pharaohs. And he's like, I'm off, bye. And then he just keeps... Uh, it's the two... It's it, Multiple things make it. It's the fact that he's in shot the entire time and just bounces off into distance, which is very funny. It reminds me of the chamber pot lady from The Adventure of Johnny Waverley. Oh, yeah. Uh, who's the other good extra who just won't keep stop going. Because <laughs> yes, um, they can't the stop. of it, Grace. Yeah. Because I guess because they're still in shot, so they keep got to keep doing the thing. Well, yeah. Um... But it's the multiple checks to the side of the mm. things that make, get, make it for me. See, I don't, I, I don't ever watch him for quite as long as you because I'm always distracted by the way that Kitty and Pamela say hooray because <laughs> it's so silly. It's, uh, what a, what a scene. It's a great scene. But then Clapperton has to go and ask his wife for permission to leave the boat, which is what Poirot overhears mm. because he's just down the corridor and because Clapperton is making a right to do of it, screaming through the door while she's all kind of, oh, just go. I don't care. You can't come in. I'm asleep. This scene is very, this whole episode actually holds up to a second viewing, but this scene in particular is really interesting on a second viewing. Because you guessed it last time, didn't you? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and it's because of a particular way the scene is shot. I don't necessarily spoil it. People are, you know, obviously watching the episode, but, um, there's, there are a few weird. So it's often, I think maybe it's hard to tell what's, um, I think a lot of the directing in these early episodes of Pyro is quite obvious. Um, you know, as in like, it's I mean, like a lot of late 80s, 90s television. It's not like the most sophisticated kind of, um, performances out of a lot of the actors are good performances, but they're all they're sort of very surface level kind of read as they are kind of things. And so anything that's slightly weird about what an actor has been instructed to do um, really, really stands out. And um, the key thing in this uh, scene um, is just um, John's positioning. Every single time... Um, he speaks when he looks back to Poirot and when you hear Adeline speaking, his positioning is super weird in a way that makes complete sense when the mystery is resolved, but, um, you would never direct an actor to do that. I think it's weird because, um, I, what, I think I don't watch it trying to figure out who done it anyway. Mm. I never have done with murder mysteries just because, if you do figure it out, it kind of spoils it and then you get impatient. So I mm. kind of tend to not try, if that makes sense. But watching it, knowing what had happened and stuff, um, I think some of that is mitigated by the fact that at this point they were clearly actually shooting on, you know, on those in those rooms and in on those structures right so you know in in later episodes uh, you get the feeling that they you know that they have a lot more space because perhaps certain elements weren't filmed in a pokey cabin or whatever yeah yeah. this feels very much like you only have a certain number of vantage points because otherwise the cameraman would have been pressed into a corner or like trying to Mm. like fall backwards through a wall or something right yeah yeah either way Anyway, 
Yes. Adeline can't come out because she's in bed and won't and shan't and piss off, will you, John? <laughs> so, so he's like, hooray, I can go off with the, with the young ladies. Yeah. So, yeah. And how? I know. Um, but extra comes back. He does. He finishes his lap of the boat, comes back around the other side of the boat. Mm. And finds... And then sells an amber necklace to Miss Henderson. Yeah. Hooray! <laughs> we've, um, we've also, by this point, been introduced to the very shifty steward. Yes. Skinner, I think his name Yeah, is. who's a... He's got an eye patch. A, a steward with an eye patch who literally couldn't look more suspicious. Yes. If he... I don't know if he was wearing a convict outfit and stroking a white cat. so yeah so he's he's just hanging around like a weirdo um and then so oh my favorite thing there is hastings is like come on let's go sightseeing uh but we should avoid all of the touristy (laughs) hotspots you know he wants to see the real alexandria i think yeah so cut two Yes, cut to Hastings doing a photo op for tourists on a camel. Sat on a wooden camel. <laughs> well, Poirot tries to explain to him how he should look while doing this. <laughs> so, um, th- at this point, Hast- um, Poirot's wingmanning technique for Hastings has devolved into kind of just joining Miss Henderson in, in gently roasting Hastings from far away while Hastings thinks they're saying nice things about him. Because of Aww. course he does. Bless him. I feel sad now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she's, cause Poirot has realized that she kind of liked Clapperton and was a bit put out by, cause I think. Oh yeah. Cause she asks him, tries to be casual about it, but asks him if he's seen Clapperton and he's like, Oh, uh, yes, I think he came ashore and she's like, mm, yes, I, I just, I thought that we were going to meet up and I thought there was an understanding, you know, like mm. she's clearly been sort of stood up by him in favor of Totty. Um, and then so Poirot is trying to be delicate and is like, I think he might have come aboard with somebody. I don't know who. And she's like, I'm not stupid. And he sort of doffs his cap to her not being stupid. Yeah. I like that line actually. It's a couple of lines of sincerity. I think it's because, um, he says, um, uh, oh yes, he came aboard. He came ashore with the little girls. Which is like, they're not little girls, Poirot. Yeah. And neither am I. And just sort of, he goes like, I, you game, yeah. no game. Mm. Like, the thing is, though, like, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about this, because on the one hand, she's a more sympathetic figure. But on the other hand, like, what, am I rooting for the affair or for... I, I suppose everyone hates Adeline. Well, yeah, but I mean, John's an awful tit. He is a tit. He's tit is the perfect word. Terrible tit. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's not, I, I don't, no, I'm yeah. not into any of these people. No, so she doesn't really have my sympathy, but it's a, yeah, like you say, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a moment of sincerity a in a very moment. silly episode. <laughs> yes, because then we basically sort of all get back to the boat, um, and Hastings is, 
chatting with uh, oh because they meet up with the tollivers don't they and then so hastings mm. goes back to the boat you think because he needed a poo it's <laughs> it, it, the scene flows perfectly if you believe that hastings desperately needs a poo from the moment to meet the tollivers that's my pro tip for watching this episode okay um but poirot and the tollivers go and have lunch which seems very nice mm. uh whereas hastings were you right in saying that it's oliver tolliver well so i couldn't quite catch it and it didn't seem like the moment to go back but I'm so, like, I'm 90% sure that his name is Oliver Tolliver and hers is Polly. Polly, (laughs) Oliver Tolliver and Oliver Tolliver. They're not important. I so think that's what they said to each other. I think she calls him Oliver and he called her Polly. Mm. But I I couldn't 100% swear to it. Anyway, um, by the time we get back to the boat, Hastings is uh, lecturing uh, the captain. No, not the captain. The, um, I guess, first mate or whoever yeah. about the fact that he would like the shooting competition to be here <laughs> in Alexandria Harbour. And it'll probably all be fine if they just shoot out in the direction of the open <laughs> sea, because not many people are, and I quote, parked there. <laughs> stopped. <laughs> Boat stopped. Um so, <laughs> this is such a good scene. <laughs> I mean, sure. And then the old man, the old general, old colonel, whoever oh, overhears yeah. this from the deck and goes, it's invented by the Indians, you know. What? Clay pigeon in the 1300s. Of course, it was all bows and arrows back then. And you didn't have one of those launching contraptions. You just had a man with a very strong arm. <laughs> and this is irrelevant. <laughs> and Hastings just looks at him like, Ah, <laughs> yes we're british and um <laughs> that's it this is no bearing on the rest of the episode whatsoever it's just a, this is what i mean when i say there are moments in the script which are like they knew what they were doing i think mm. this is one of them mm. it's sort of the it it's basically the caricature of an empire elderly man yeah. Yeah, yeah who sort of wants to tell you his uh, absolutely sort of off the wall recollections and here's a fact vague history <laughs> you're just yeah. like I, what so and everyone just sort of sips their tea and is like uh, okay anyway so uh they finally finally we get around to the murder <laughs> <laughs> because uh john finally gets into his room having been locked out mm. uh, and discovers adeline with a great big thing sticking out of her chest it's a dagger yes pierced through the thorax i she's believe she's so <laughs> alive <laughs> believe how alive she is she's dead now <laughs> well indeed and and an amber necklace Ooh, mystery on, on the, the floor, floor. <laughs> So, yes, uh, so they fetch the captain and the captain's like, uh, Oh shit. <laughs> Poirot, could you like deal with this because I don't really want to talk to the Egyptian police. Yeah. So, and that was apparently fine. <laughs> so, uh, yes, so Adeline is dead. She's been murdered, mm. obviously. The, she's um, died in a very, her, her death pose is extremely perfect for her. Yeah. She's died in the vampiest way. <laughs> And it's a really ostentatious dagger. <laughs> exactly. <isn't> it? <laughs> oh, God, this dagger's awful, but it'll have to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, and then, so Poirot starts investigating, and the amber necklace kind of immediately has the, the 
Miss Henderson kind of implication. Although, you know, if you, if anyone has a glancing familiarity with murder mysteries, they're like, okay, so it probably wasn't her. Yeah. But your monogrammed handkerchief was left up the victim's nose. Definitely wasn't you. Exactly. But yes, so we have to sort of look at all of these facts and things. But I think that that can, that can wait a little because Poirot has a sort of, he does, he, he does his like cursory look around kind of thing. But then don't we cut to Hastings having a solitary glass of wine on deck? No, first there is the, uh, quite intense Poirot, uh, John interview. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. It's not that important. It's just, um, you know, uh, I've completely blanked on their surname. Clapperton. Clapperton. That's it. Um, John Clapperton is sort of, sort of he seems sort of like shaken but maybe uh sort of result you know what i mean he's got a kind of like steely kind of this has happened but he's stiff being upper lip. stiff upper lip about yeah. it yeah um and he takes part of his questions and then uh again a, a scene that has more meaning on a second view and then and then yes i think there's a few other kind of reaction things from around the boat he also Pyro also interviews um the general mm. about adeline you know, the sort of, you had a history with, cause we have, we have his interview with the general and we also have him going to see Kitty and Pamela yeah. before we get to Hastings action trousers. No, he doesn't go and see Kitty and Pamela until the next day because it's daytime when they're wailing in bunk beds, I believe. You sure? Okay. Well, I don't yeah. know because apparently I cared so little about the actual murder mystery at this point that I have not really made extensive notes. So <laughs> I, I think so. so my... all of this is covered in like two lines. Okay. It says <laughs> Poirot starts investigating, and then it's just, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so I think I think the Kitty thing is before as well because okay. I think that's in the evening as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, Pyra goes to the general, um, is it Fowler? Forbes. Forbes. Sorry. I'm really struggling with my names. Um, and you've never been good with Pyro names. No, that's just cause it's just Gennaro dialer British name most of the time. Um, and, um, <laughs> and yet Star Wars. <laughs> that's, that's dialer British name, then reverse the syllables. Anyway, um, Luke, apart from Luke, what? Uh, you know, his inversion of the famous British name. Ben. Cool. What? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> That's not Neb. <laughs> Obi-Wan. <laughs> but his name's Ben. Uh, let's not get into that. That's the other podcast. <laughs> um, uh, so. Baru. Par- exactly. I just. <laughs> Rube. I don't know. What's the other one? Owen. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so, (laughs) (laughs) um, so I've completely lost my thread now. It's gone. Forbes. Forbes. So, (laughs) Brian goes to see Forbes. Yes. And, uh, interviews him about Adeline because they had a connection. This one of those weird ones where he's basically like, yes, I knew her when she was seven years old. I was in love with her. And you're like, (laughs) Oh. So you need to do some generous timeline work here. So, um, cause he's probably about 10 years older than Adeline, I think. And yeah. Cause she's about 50. Yeah. And, and he's about 60. Yeah. And then he also seems visibly more upset than yeah. uh, her husband does. And he says something like, 
Oh, when I knew her, she had this other name because she knew a previous husband. And, and then she bef- wasn't as silly as this. She yeah, she wasn't as silly. And then, uh, and then, of course, you know, I, I first met her in 92, meaning 1892. Um, uh, you know, when she was only seven years old, I was ADC to her father or something. So he was presumably like 17, 18. And then, um, he knew her. He's known her for decades. And then he hasn't seen her for 17 years since the death of her previous husband. And he says something like, I thought I had a shot then, you know, but I didn't. I mean, I didn't do it as she was mourning. I didn't do it. I also didn't kill her. <laughs> Basically, it sort of paints her husband as not a scrupulous man because he was happy to try and pursue yes. someone who was in mourning, right? Yes, whereas... Wasn't proper, whereas... Forbes is very much more like... Mm. She's maybe mid-40s then, because if it was 92 when she... Hang on. If no, she was 7 she, and 92. Yeah, she's about 50. Yeah, she would have been born in 85. Yeah. Yeah. Because the book, well, the, I think the short story came out in 36 and the story collection that it got put into came out in 39. Good fact. Mm. Mm. Um, so Parag does that interview and then at some point in the sequence, he goes to see the girls and, uh, Kitty, I think is absolutely inconsolable and will not stop crying. Yeah. She's curled up in the top bunk, just wailing and weeping and thinks it's all her fault because she was slagging Adeline off to high heaven. To death. And, and, <laughs> and Poirot's like, well, if everybody who had said mean things about Adeline Clapperton uh, was wailing, then this boat would be a shipping hazard. And then klaxons go off and a little pair of sunglasses descend onto his little face. In your mind. Yeah. Um, no, he's actually, his, his, his attitude in this scene is super weird compared to like when he's talking to the girls, even though they're like 19, he suddenly becomes the sweetest little delicate little hello. How are you? I just here to ask one question. But he does that, doesn't he? He tailors his performance to his audience to get the best results. He does, yeah. Mm. He become, but it's, it's interesting. It's a good bit of like Poirot, um. Law. Law. Yeah. Characterization. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, and then it's after uh, they have no real information for him apart from the fact that he, they reassure him. That they were with, uh. Oh, they the hus- were with him the whole time yes. until he was, like, weeing so, or pooing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that's whatever. the end of the scene. So, um, so I have completely blanked on the name of the sea again. Clapperton. 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 Not Copeland. My mind keeps saying Copeland. I keep not saying it out loud. Just did. Um, they, they establish Clapperton's perfect alibi, mm. which is that he was with them all day. And Poirot's like, all day? And she's like, well, when we went for some tea, he did go to, you know, for only a couple of minutes. Like, yes, we didn't time it. <laughs> because, you know. <laughs> because that's weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's at this point that we join Hastings. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> who is having a moody glass of red wine by himself mm. on the top of the boat at night. Yeah. Because well, Hastings. I, mean, I, I would do that. There's a little, little vampy streak in Hastings as well. Really though, I just get the feeling that he wanted some wine and enjoys the sea air. Like I, don't, I do. I think this is a rare moment of Hastings' introspection. He's probably thinking about shooting. 
Well, maybe he's thinking about why the lady didn't want to talk about shooting the next day like she promised. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> anyway, he's distracted by the sight of Shifty McShifterson uh, yeah. leaving the boat in Shifty the shiftiest Mc- way possible. Shifty McShift face. Escapes Boaty McBoat face. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, Hastings uh, pursues him into a sort of, I believe, what we're intended to think is a uh, a bad part of uh, yeah, town. Yeah, kind of a smoky Casbah kind of arrangement. Yeah. And it's kind of like got sort of, you know, ladies looking. Of the night. Well, I mean, literally. Yeah. <laughs> it's night time. They are ladies. So, um, but then he's wearing his sort of high waisted trousers of <laughs> oh, hot God. pursuit. See, <laughs> <laughs> Hastings sets his trousers to stun and that's all the way up. But yeah, that's <laughs> not a. Oh, yes. They're basically at armpit height <laughs> exactly. at this point as he, as he rushes in and tackles, um, Skinner, the shifty, shifter. Shifty steward. Uh, who is trying to shift some jewels. He's trying to sell Adeline's jewelry. He is. Which uh, to, is I think, no the good. bouncy hawker from earlier. Possibly, although we would, I. Who knows at this no, point? You're just, you just, you're just seeing him where you want to see him. It's because he will never leave shot. <laughs> He's in every shot of this episode. Um, you just, oh, like, you, you'll be seeing him in your dreams. <laughs> bouncing away. He's the shifty hawker that's ever receding before us. No, He's your new favourite. He is. Person. Yes. Ever. <laughs> mm. Anyway. So, uh, <laughs> Pip just his... said that while uh, licking a Turkish delight. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, uh, his, his amazing defense is she was dead already when I stole her jewels. Uh, yeah. whoever would have thought that that wouldn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> he says this to Pyro and Hastings while in an Egyptian prison. Um, and we never see him again. But the thing is, right, he says this while in an Egyptian prison, so presumably at some point they're going to find out that there was a murder on the boat that the captain didn't report to them. Yeah. But the, yeah, but Skinner, you know, we'll never see any Skinner again after this point. No, we're not. Skinner, Skinner lives in Egyptian prison now, by which I mean he's in prison. Yeah. He's just. That's it for him. Yep. Fine. Um, Unless they decide that because they didn't know about the original crime, this wasn't a crime either. <laughs> I do, I do, lo- I love the line where they leave the prison. He said, like, I didn't, you know, I didn't kill her. I just, you know, nicked the jewelry. I shouldn't have done it. Doofus. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then Hastings and Paro leave the prison as they're leaving, uh, as they're leaving the police station. Um, uh, Hastings says something like, do you think he's telling the truth, Paro? And Hastings, and Paro goes, yes, I think I do. And Hastings goes, me too. And then they just leave. <laughs> Time to leave him in prison. That's when Poirot does put his sunglasses on. He does, on. yeah. Mm, yes. So, anyway. Uh, and then they uh, get back to the boat to discuss the lost necklace with Miss Henderson, I believe. Mm, but she doesn't know where it is. But she's like, I don't know. Which, and then I think, and then she talks about how awful Adeline was. <laughs> and, like, I think at that point... You just can't suspect her because it's like mm. of all the, yeah. like, I don't know where the thing is that was found at the murder scene. Also, isn't this woman terrible? That would be a spectacular double bluff mm. that would be far more suited to maybe a later Poirot. Yeah, I think it's at this Certainly point. Certainly not I, I for forgot, early Poirot. I've forgotten exactly what the line is that triggers Poirot's kind of final thought on this, but he has it at the end of that scene. He, um, someone says something about like, um, you know, it's something like 
Yeah, it's something... Clapperton couldn't have done. He has a rock-solid alibi. She was dead ages ago. And it just cuts to Paro doing a big old thinky no, face. it's something about, like, when he... When she tells him to go away, like, he couldn't have because she was talking or... You know, yeah, like, yeah, something like that. It, it's more to do with speech, I think. And then that's the point where it starts going properly off the rails. Yeah, this point, you don't know it's happening, but this boat is leaving the rails. Because... Poirot goes to see the aunt brigade mm. and... Aunt in heavy inverted commas. Really? You don't think... I mean, you know, I, th- I think there might be a couple, but I mean, maybe not. I don't know. They might just be friends. They might be a touring troupe. Who knows? Anyway, um, and he wants to talk to their, like, seven-year-old niece and borrow her doll Mm. so pyro immediately goes to borrow a doll we're about to head into i think the first true dining room confrontation scene of pyro season one and And it's the fucking weirdest potentially the only prop based denouement yeah (laughs) and the thing is like i get it but also i don't get this scene is amazing so yeah, Poirot kind of interrupts the recital of a Rudyard Kipling poem. Well, it's even weirder than that, because... So, the elderly general gets up to recite Rudyard Kipling and starts talking through a bit of kind of raunchy Kipling. Um, it's And then the captain says, no, please stop that. Raunchy, not okay, Kipling. Yeah, please stop that. I need to have something to say, obviously. And the captain says, quite reasonably, you know, there was a tragedy on board today <laughs> yesterday at this point um and this point uh clapperton enters kind of heavy-footed kind of entrance takes a seat at the back everyone sort of eyes turned with to the him. ladies yeah two young ladies takes a seat at the back you know eyes turned to him in a kind of like oh what a loss kind of way and as you would expect and maybe you know the raunchy kipling wasn't appropriate and the camera says i hope you will all you know help us solve this crime uh, you know, you'll need to pay attention now to Hercule Poirot, who has expertise in this kind of thing and is going to come solve the crime. This so far makes complete sense, pretty much. Um, however, Poirot then emerges from a staircase with a big tray with a tablecloth over it. Mm-hmm. Now, he is the magician. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> He just to- sort of turns up and plonks that down and, you know, with much theatricality, doesn't he? So, yes. Uh, and it, he's kind of like, he, he then whips off the cloth and starts banging on about the suitcase, which is the thing that was underneath it. And how, oh, suitcases, they are so boring. Except suitcases have contents. <laughs> he's so overdoing this. Yeah. He's really stalling for time. Um, well- I mean, or just sort of I, milking it. Mm, really, really milking really it. milking it. Um, and so he brings out the doll from the suitcase. Miss Henderson says, a doll! <laughs> just to help. <laughs> and so there's sort of, you know, the, the, the point of this is, I mean, so, okay, well, mm, we'll... We'll get to the exact point of it in a moment, but basically he sort of introduces this doll as if it, uh, as if it were a witness mm. to the crime. Yeah. And it's a creepy doll. It's one of those creepy China kind of 
haunted dolls that I really don't like and won't mm. have in the house. Um, and the idea is that he is, you know, building his little act and as part of it sort of teases the fact that, oh, this doll is, you know, magic and it can speak and, but, but the doll can't speak if it's got an audience. So we'll put it back in the suitcase and, and let it sort of tell us what it saw kind of thing with, you know, much pointing and much like moving the head and moving his head towards it. And, this is, you know, properly like, um, this is like manic pixie dream detective final form. Yeah. Yes. And also just sort of really average, you know, local theatre magician. <laughs> yeah, this is not Pyro's calling. I mean, and that's sort of not to do down the work that they do, but it's not subtle. It's like there's a definite craft of like that slightly over overly theatrical kind of you know yeah over you talk everything. to the doll and the doll then looks at you dramatically and you look at it and, looks like he's know. almost going to kiss the doll at one point yes it really does. yeah and by the way yes this is the same episode we were just talking about yes anyway so the doll goes back in the suitcase and then suddenly a little girl's voice echoes from apparently inside the suitcase to start um repeating the lines that adeline uh gave when she was supposedly in her cabin refusing to hang out with john yes yeah, like, oh, i'll go, go away john i'll be out later those kinds of things mm. at which point john is sweating profusely mm. and then he starts to shake and then he gets up and then really he stands slowly and in the time-honored tradition of poirot guilty murderers sort of almost tries like so actually i think this is almost like a perfect proto example of a, a thing that will become more common which is like the sort of sort of trying to flee but not trying very hard this happens in a few episodes. It happens in um, the one with the twin old men, uh, which we did a few weeks ago or a few episodes ago. The one where one, the old man dies in Brighton. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, in the end where the guy's on the stage and he sort of just runs and a bright light comes on. He's like, well, I'll stop then. Yes. Right. Yes, and he's apprehended. So if you are Clapperton in this scenario, the thing you do is go, that's nonsense. And this is offensive nonsense. You're mm. mimicking my dead wife's last words back at me. This is offensive nonsense. I'm just going to go... I'm going to go. Yeah. I, I'm not going to sit here. I'm just going to stop. has got nothing. Poirot has nothing. He just goes, I'm not going to do anything. Just- His only witness is a doll in a suitcase. <laughs> exactly. That's not going to stand up in court. All Clapton needs to do is go, I'm sorry, this is offensive nonsense. I'm going to get some air, go up to the deck, and then bugger off into Egypt, never be seen again. Right? Mm. Done. Yeah. You got away because with murder. the Egyptian authorities have, as we have said before, not been informed. <laughs> yeah. No what murder he does is stand up, shaking and sweating, take two steps forward, and then sort of like start to kind of weirdly strafe around the crowd, shaking and sweating. <laughs> like then get like a crab half, having like some a crab. kind of anxiety. Yeah, attack. like an epileptic crab, and then get halfway through the crowd before making a kind of a deeply half-assed sprint for the stairs. Well, as someone's coming down. Yeah. So. At which point he's tackled by Hastings. Yes. His second tackle. Of the no. Problem. I think it's just like a really half-assed. Someone's just like, yeah. It's, yeah. But then but he he does get grabbed by Hastings. Like, does he? Yeah, it's Hastings stops him. I thought it was the captain. It's Hastings. Anyway, and um, then he just says yes. He yes. just says yes. <laughs> That's all he says. Yes, and not even not even the typical like, latter season Paro villain. Like, yes, I did it, and I do it again, and I'll hang happily because I hate you, Sebastian. Kind of thing. It's just yes, <laughs> <laughs> like it's, yes. So, in case having 
a young girl pretend to be a doll trapped in a suitcase that witnessed a murder even though the doll wasn't in the room at the time um and didn't yeah reveal the entirety of the mystery to you the the point is that clapperton um in sort of making such a to-do about his skill with cards was sort of pretending that his music hall career had been as a magician doing tricks and things Mm. but in fact he was ventriloquist who could throw his voice and therefore was impersonating his already dead wife having killed her so yeah. that he could go larking about with a couple of teenagers in alexandria <laughs> so and uh, yeah, yeah the the thing that is i think the reason i guessed it the first time is because when he is that scene early in, in thing, the thing that's weird about it uh, in order to make it hold together is every time adeline speaks he basically presses his face against the door mm. like, and it, it happens enough that you go like that that can't be an accident you wouldn't direct an actor to do that mm. and so it's like oh he's throwing his voice and as soon as you get that it's like yep whole thing falls into place mm. very rapidly but yeah so that's that's how that goes and mm. then i think at the very end um poirot joins miss henderson on deck and she's sort of looking mournfully out to sea and uh he's kind of i guess trying to sympathize but sort of also making slightly light of things and she's sort of like like sad about this because she genuinely liked clapperton i think well she's sad about it and thinks that the doll stuff was in poor taste which yes (laughs) yes it was um (laughs) and I love this. You just finish what you're going to say, but I I love this. Well, the thing is, and then his comeback is, well, I don't like murder. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, well, you didn't yeah. like my doll thing. You didn't like my puppetry. Well, I, I <laughs> like murder. So. She, yeah, she says, like, you played a frightfully dirty trick, Poirot. He's like, well, I do not approve of murderers, madame. And so the Poirot's, Poirot's line here is, well, I hate murder. I hate murder enough to solve it ridiculously. <laughs> <laughs> just so stupid and it's like but this is the point where i'm a bit like well and what you know what what sympathy am i supposed to have with her that she was in love with um, a married man and an idiot like because there's no sense that that's been going on for a while it's just i don't know like that they didn't do nearly enough for her characterization to Mm. to make the sympathy that you're supposed to have for her at the end work i think Mm. Like, but Adeline was awful, therefore well, it doesn't Adeline count. Adeline was awful, but I I don't um, know. Yeah. Maybe I'm just being awful myself. But I just I, I think well, no, I, I think I think find the sympathy, and usually I can. I think you're right. I think sympathy for her hangs off the the story's own assertion that some men are just trapped in awful marriages and there's nothing you can do about it and isn't it awful which is something the pyro voices it's something is voiced multiple times with regards to adeline so it's and it's a very much of its time assertion that doesn't well, hold up it's, i think it for me the the part where it falls down is that usually certainly in later seasons they do a far better job of showing the the person who is manipulative 
actually sort of getting the other person into the state of being in love with them or mm. like liking them whereas the early ones really don't so all you have is the the character's word for it almost right. and so that that makes it a harder job i think you have to meet them more than halfway sometimes because mm. this you know the 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 time that you have that sensation is when um when she bumps into Poirot and Hastings at the camel photo shoot um and we realized that she was waiting around for him but like she presumably knew that he was married so Mm. you know and was sort of also if they've all been on the ship for a similar amount of time like yeah 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 it doesn't it doesn't help girls anyway so that that didn't really work for me as an ending because it's like also because he's just sort of one-upping her it's just you know like well you're sad about this thing well well actually he did a murder so i'm not sorry bye (laughs) (laughs) at the end and then we just see the ship with sort of really extreme vignetting applied to the lens so you can't see that it's not a ship or something (laughs) or you can't see that it's still in the dark i think it just looks like it's under a really extreme searchlight yeah yeah. they've just sort of got a circular sort of screen at this point anyway that's the end of the episode that's that's what happened and um yeah it's one of those abrupt kind of ends i guess that uh i mean a lot happened i love this episode (laughs) i think every scene is a treat (laughs) yes i think that's fair it's certainly filled with stuff (laughs) Uh, I'm so alive. Uh, yes, Adeline is. So that, that should be on her tombstone. It's I'm perfect. sad that she's not in it more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if only she'd been a recurring character. Just <laughs> one of those terrible people that he keeps bumping into on holidays. Yeah, but she can't be because it's so perfect that she dies. I know. Oh. <laughs> anyway, yes. So that concludes the problem at sea. What's next? Next is the incredible theft. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> wow. It better be. <laughs> well, I think, to be honest, nothing is going to compete with your love for this episode. So, so we might we sh- as well So, just... you know my extra of the week. Yes. Who's your extra of the week? I don't know, because I was kind of thinking about some of the... Because I quite... Obviously, I, th- I think... Am I just going to pick a different one for the sake of picking a different one? Well, I wouldn't blame you for not being able to, because it's an astonishing extra performance. Because, well, so there's also the um, the cameraman at the camel photo shoot, Good. who yeah. is obviously trying to, uh, you know, render his grand artistic vision using Hastings and a wooden camel. Um, and there's also the doll. <laughs> Mm. Which, you know, and there's the captain who just wants all of this to have ended or gone away. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they think there's, there's, there are contenders, mm, but there, there can only be one champ. Yes, I think I'll have to bow to, <laughs> to your, to your choice. The bounciest, most unnecessarily in shot man. So good. So good. So good. We're so gonna have to like go back and figure out like maybe maybe we could time him so that you can sort of keep that in mind as a figure for for in mm. case there are any other I think I might present extras. yeah I think I might do actually that's a good idea <laughs> I want I want to see who at the end when we get to the very end of all of the episodes of Pyro in 
six years or whenever we finish doing this um i want to f- the final accounting of which extra is on screen unnecessarily the longest <laughs> well anyway uh i think we're going to try to go back to doing these weekly mm-hmm. although schedules might be a bit up in the air for the next couple of weeks at least um just because of work and settling back into the new year um was there any other housekeeping that we had to do? No, just social media and goodbye. Cool. Oh, and Crank Rebel bits, obviously. Sure. Okay. So the main nonsense that mm. we participate in is the Crate and Crowbar podcast. Um, so you can generally interact with us should you fancy doing so on Twitter at Crate and Crowbar um, for this as well as uh, the main account comings and goings um we are also on uh youtube youtube.com forward slash crate and crowbar we have a discord channel uh if you would like to discuss the comings and goings of hastings and poro uh on that it is uh mm, actually we don't have a shortened link for that do we no links so, on the website link is on the website which is crate and crowbar dot if you'd like to send us your own observations, we don't have a question section on this, um, but correspondence that is longer than Twitter length, uh, you can definitely send it to us and we are trying to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> so we had the idea, you had the idea that we might do a end of season questions episode. Yes. We're not so- going to do questions for this podcast every episode it's not no so if there is something you'd like to get off your chest or ask or just sort of <laughs> ponder out loud then you can do that it's questions at crateandcrowbar.com and we have a patreon which we use to fund the main thing and also side projects like this which is is it patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar better believe it right awesome anything else what's your twitter well that's at philippa war which is p-h-i-l-i-p-p-a-w-a-r-r mine's c thurston that's c-t-h-u-r-s-t-e-n nice and i think we should try and sort out some theme tune music so that we don't just perfect seamless Bye. <laughs> <laughs>